retreat. He gets to hear me talk. Which he doesn't get to hear me talk very much upstairs. Yeah, I think I first want to just pray for what happened in, uh, yeah. in France. Um, so I'm just going to pray, and you guys can agree with me. Father in heaven, um, a lot of loss happened um, over there, as it does everywhere, but this time we heard about it. Um, and we just ask that you be there, God, that you, you come in and you do something amazing like you all, always do. Yeah, it, it should be the appropriate response for us to feel pain when our brothers and sisters feel pain. And your heart is for you far more than any of ours. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk kind of a family message today. It's about, we're doing a, a series um, on family through November. Um, November family, I guess. Um, it's all it, family November. It's all it's all family November. Perfect. And so, um, what I'm what I'm talking about is is sin in family. So it's a pretty exciting exciting message. Um, and I just want to highlight or talk about the Bible here for a second. This Bible, a lot of the times when when I think about it, I sometimes get this idea that it's this mythical story about perfect people who hung out and talked to a perfect God and did perfect things. And in reality, it is a book and in many ways of human history and God's intervention. Right. And God's divine passion and intervention. Um, yeah. A girl that was teaching at New Day, I forgot her name, Kathy, Kathy Spaulding, and she just said that if she was to go into the library and find this book, she would find it in the romance section, which I think is very fitting. So the story that I'm going to talk about is is about um, it's about David. It's a story with it's a story with David and and his family and how sin has and it's in one in one way or the other robbed many people of um, a far better life. Um, and we should be able to relate with all of the characters primarily um, in some cases because. Our families may look very similar to this, or in the minimum, because we're humans. Um, but I'm first going to start and talk um, about David's character. And so this story takes place while David is fighting, and the enemy lines are, are drawn, and he's behind the lines, and he's reminiscing about his childhood with some of his, some of his close companions. And he says, man, I really like it. If I could get some water from that well over there in Bethlehem, man, that was the best water. And so his companions, because they loved David, got together and, and broke through the enemy lines specifically to go grab him some water. And then they brought it back to him. And David's response um, is, is in 1 Chronicles eleven nineteen. It says, my God, for, for, forbid me to do this. I won't drink the blood of these men. After all, they risk their lives to bring it to me. That's why I will not drink it. So he's saying, let not my desires put other people at risk. Let not what I, for me, this is personal gain, put other people at risk. And if he would have kept that attitude when he saw Bathsheba, 
I believe the entire Old Testament history would have been different. Um, I'm just going to briefly run through Bathsheba, the story. So David's on the rooftop. He's, the rest of his army's at war. I mean, it's pretty easy life for a king. And he's kind of hanging out, you know? Um, and there makes some reference, and you hear people say that he ought to have been at war, but instead he was back enjoying the luxury of kinghood. Um, and he recognizes, or he sees this girl, Bathsheba. He invites, demands, I don't know how we want to call it. I don't know if you can tell the king no to come, come lay with him, and she complies. Um, complies. Right. And we don't, I don't, I don't, I've never had a king, but if they're anything like drill sergeants, you don't tell them no. And so, basically he's, and he, he, did, he did this thing, he basically committed adultery, that's what he did. She's married to another man who happens to be fighting. David then tried, she gets pregnant, you know? First time, it's kind of crazy. Some people try for years. Um, she gets pregnant, and then he tries to cover his tracks, ultimately, by murdering her husband. And he doesn't do it himself. What he does is he sends a decree out and basically says, hey, do some pretty risky things and make sure her husband's in front. Um, and so he murders, murders her. So now I'm going to real quick talk about Tamar. And so he reckoned, well, yeah. I'm just going to talk about Tamar. So there are three people, well, four people in this story. You have you have Tamar, which is Ed, the son or the daughter, correction, the daughter of a king. You have Absalom. Um, who is Tamar's brother. You have Abnon, who's Tamar's half-brother. And then you have David. So that's the only people you're going to hear in this story. And so... So basically, we're going to start in 2 Psalms 13. I'm just going to read the account. Um, 13 2, 2 Psalms 13.2. So Abnon became emotionally distressed, and he fell sick over his half-sister Tamar. She was a virgin, and Abnon found it difficult to do anything about it. So what he did is he pretended to be sick. He pretended to be sick, and he requested that David, the king, would allow Tamar to come into his, into his house and cook him some, cook him some food. So Amnon lied down, fake being sick. When the king came to visit, and Amnon asked, Please let my sister Tamar come. And my notes are out of order. I did multiple copies of this, and now I don't know where they are. Okay. Nope. Oh, I see. I was tricked. I was tricked by the printer. I was tricked, guys. It wasn't my fault. So, 
Make me some bread, especially from her, so she can feed it to me. So David complied. He made Tamar do this. She went to his room, um, made him the food. But as soon as she brought, brought them near to him, he overpowered her and said, Come, come here and have sex with me, my sister. No, my brother. She kept telling him, Don't humiliate me like this. This, this just isn't something that's done in Israel. Don't do this. Don't do this utterly foolish thing. And what about me? Where will I go to escape my disgrace? And as for you, where will you will be known as you'll be known as one of the greatest fools? Please tell the king. Please tell the king because he won't withhold you from it. So she's basically saying, "Hey, we can do this right. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do it this way. Like I did it, but we there's an option. There's a holy option that we can we can go through. And in Jewish law." The responsibility of someone who's being overpowered, in, like in this scenario, basically someone that's being right, was to, was to do their best to get help, was, was to plead. And she's doing, she's doing what she's supposed to do. Um, but he was unwilling to listen. But he was unwilling to listen to what she had to say. Since he was stronger than her, he forced himself upon her. And so she got raped. After, afterwards, though, Amnon hated her even more intensely. As a result, he hated her. He hated her exceedingly. Oh, sorry. His hatred for her exceeded the love that, that he previously had for her. So Amnon told her to get out. Even so, she tried to tell him again, no, after all this, it's more, it's more wrong for you to send me away than, than what you've just done to me. But he was unwilling to listen once again. servants to come and kicked her out. She was clothed in a long-sleeved, multicolored, ornamental tunic, commonly worn by the king's virgin daughters, when Absalom's servants threw her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar rubbed her head with ashes, tore her tunic that she was wearing, and put her head in her hands and ran off crying along and she went. Later, her brother, Absalom, Okay, so this is her full brother. Absalom asked her, Has that brother of yours raped you? Then keep then keep quiet about your half-brother for now. My sister, stop taking this so personally. So he silenced her, right? From that time on, Tamar lived in continual desolation within her brother's house. Um, and that's where, well, continue on. So she never recovered. There's a few, few more verses. When King David heard all these, all these developments, he flew into an outrage. But Absalom never said a word, neither good nor bad. Absalom never said a word, neither good or bad to Abnon. Nevertheless, he hated Abnon because, because he humiliated his sister. The person that I... 
that I'm usually tempted to, to look at is David um, through this ordeal. And I'm not going to look at him probably until the end, but who I'm going to focus on right now is Tamar. Because um, Tamar was the only one who didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And yet her life was ravaged by sin. Right. And we can see in the we can see in, in the end of um, verse twenty, she lived in desolation in her brother's house forever. She never recovered. She was raped by a family member, someone that she should have trusted. The story of her abuse was then silenced by other family members. Um, they never covered her shame. She wasn't heard. Um, she wasn't consoled by her father. Someone with authority to do something. Doesn't look like there was justice done. Um, and that she probably had a lot of questions. Why did this happen to me? What did I do wrong? What will others say? Where will I go with my shame? And that is almost the last time you hear. That's pretty much the last time you hear of her. So this is another verse. I'm not, it's in, this is in the Bible. You're just going to have to trust me. <laughs> he gave himself for our sins in order to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So he gave himself to not only rescue us from our own sins, but from the sins that we happen to be around. The sins that, have, that were inflicted on us. Which is a pretty good benefit. Um, 
You know, and I, I didn't have all, believe this or not, positive experiences in the military. I, yeah, I was crazy. Like, it wasn't always that great. You know, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he, you know, yesterday, um, on the phone for, for a good hour, um, his name's Daniel, and he was like, man, I still wake up in the middle of the night and will make sure all my doors are locked. You know, this is... This is almost 10 years away. I mean, this is not quite like seven years from ago. You know, and it's still like, I mean, I'm, I legitimately, I don't swear for garbage anymore. I used to, you know, but I'm, there's some things, some scenarios that run through my head consistently. And and some of it causes pain. And some of it is pain. <laughs> I was at, I was at Water Street, it was just two days ago. And I was watching something and it triggered something inside me and I almost started sobbing in Water Street. It was, it was insane. I've never had an experience like that. I just started, like, it was intense. Um, and I just can feel God doing something with this. And I don't exactly know what it is, but I trust that he's doing something good. I trust that he's healing something. And often when I talk to him about my past or most of them, I really just want to ignore it. I want to pretend that it never happened. Um, I want I want him to just, quote-unquote, fix me or lobotomize me. It'd be another word that he just just stick some hot things in my in my nose and just just sear some parts of my brain. Um, you know, he's not out to kill my past, though. And he's not out to take away the memories. But what he will do is he will insert himself into it. And he will take that negative experience. Right? I used to have a monument in my life of pain or of shame or of misery. And it, and it has plagued me my whole life. And what Christ does is he reaches his hand in there. And he steals this negative authority over your life right. through a passionate and sometimes even violent straightening. And now when I look back on those memories that he's done that with, they're a monument of redemption. Right. Right. You know, C.S. Lewis made a quote and he's, he basically said that God loves us too much. Hmm. And he says, you know, he sees a loving father, not a senile grandfather, that simply just throws us candy to appease our simple desires. He refuses to leave me the way I am. And so often I just want him to just give me something that feels better for the current moment. But what he's after is wholeness. That's right. And the truth is, is we are after wholeness. The Bible calls it wholeness, um, holiness, redemption, sanctification, 12-step programs call it recovery. But it's something about being a complete person, and we yearn for it. And when we see it in something, someone else, either a movie or a book or a, a song, we recognize it, and it moves us. And my journey to perfection or wholeness 
really helps to recognize that I actually have no idea how to get there. I have zero idea. And that is a pretty appropriate response. There's only one person that ever walked the planet who was a whole person. He was fully connected with God. He was fully connected with human beings. He wasn't separated from the present. Um, he wasn't separated from his past. He wasn't separated from the seemingly future. And his name was Christ. And he will, in an act of extreme humility, meet us right where we're at. As the ship is sinking, he will stoop to conquer. Blessed, so this is in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. The prerequisite to comforted is mourning. Let him feel your pain. I remember when I was in the car, driving through the town, or town, this place, and I was, as I was coming down Grant Street, I was like, God, you have no idea what it's like. You have, you have no idea what it's like to be a human being. You're up in the sky, doing sky things, you know? I'm down here doing human things, and I get it, you care. You care a lot, you know? You know, and my dad cares about me a lot too, but he doesn't know what it's like to be Chris. He knows what it's like to be David, and he can kind of guess what it's like to be Chris. My dad's name's David. You know, he can guess, he can guess and I heard with, he doesn't always speak to me when I'm as arrogant as this, as gently as he did, but he, he was like, I, I was human. I know exactly, he didn't say that, but, I, but it made me be quiet. And I think we all are familiar, if not, you're about to be familiar with, with the words that are in Matthew, I think you're in 27, and he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he felt legitimate separation. He had questions that couldn't necessarily be answered. And his questions honestly weren't even really alluding. Some, I don't know if they were alluding to the truth at all. I don't know if God actually abandoned him. My guess is probably not because he was resurrected. Um, but that verse, there's only three places in the Bible where those words are used. One of them's, I believe, in Mark, and the other one's in. Matthew's little counsel, the same story. And then there's a verse, it's in Psalms 22. So I'm going to do my best to read. Make sure I got it all before I start. Just read some of that. My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from delivering me from my groaning words? My God, I cry out to you throughout the day, but you do not answer. 
throughout the night, but I have no rest. You are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried out to you, and ex- they cried out to you, and escaped. They trusted in you, and were put, and were not put to shame. But as for me, I am only a worm, not a man, scorned by man, scorned by mankind, and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They gape, they gape at me with open mouths and shake their heads at me. And it continues. Um, and the end of it is, is restoration. And I, I guess I just want to make a point that God's not a theoretical God that understands me. <laughs> in reality bore it. In reality, he bore our shame, our disappointment, our negative feelings, our neglect, and our abuse. And very often, he asks me to give it to him. Actually, every time. And I've recently come to the realization that I don't really have the right to tell him no. He already paid for it. If we don't allow, and we have every, and God gives us that right now too allow us to be on a process of wholeness. We are destined to repeat the injuries. And we are destined to carry them on to our descendants. I do not have to be a monument of my past injuries. And again, God doesn't want but I will be a monument of redemption. God's not a brother that's going to not listen to you. He's not a brother that abused you. And he's not a king that was passive. So that is, that's it. That's my heavy, very heavy message. You can give God your pain. And you can, you can change your family tree. You can, we are not just fighting. My goal for wholeness or mission, however you want to say, isn't just for me. It's for my ancestors, well, my ancestors, it's for my descendants. I can change my family tree. All of my ancestors lead up to me the front guy now, right? And I can change my family tree. I don't have to repeat that. That's good. You know, we have a, if your family perhaps is untrustworthy, I'm sorry, but 
there's a new family that he'll bring, he'll adopt you into. Thank you. situation, right? One brother raped her, the other shut her up. Dad was mad and did nothing. Dad did nothing because they're in the middle of his sin ripple, right? He's messed stuff up. Who knows why he was passive, but he was. And she never recovered. God's heart is not to leave you there. Right, Chris? God's heart is recovery, restoration, and wholeness. He will bust you out of that house that you are living in desolation in. And he will take you on a journey towards wholeness. That's his plan. So God, we just receive that today. Let's just agree right now. Let's, in our heart or out loud, wherever you want to say, say, Lord, take me on that journey to wholeness. Lord, take me on that journey to wholeness. And if you've already given your life to the Lord, that's awesome. And if you haven't, now's your chance. Say, Jesus, I commit my life to you because you are worthy and you paid for it. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I repent for what I've done wrong, and I turn to you. Show me how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chris is going to come up here with Heather, and they're going to have prayer. If you need prayer or you want to, if something really touched you, or even if it's unrelated, come on up, and they will pray over you. And don't forget, we have Bible studies on Monday and Tuesday night. We have breakthrough prayer at noon on Tuesday upstairs. 12 o'clock, it's intercession. And also, third Friday of this month, still, even though it's November, we have worship night, which starts at 6.30 on Friday and goes until we can't sing anymore. <laughs> Usually a little over two hours. All right, thank you guys. You are dismissed.